And we are back. I've been off for a few weeks, and I hope you all haven't missed me too much. But it has been a, a fun, exciting, crazy, busy, awesome few weeks off. Uh, lots of things have been changing. And so the theme of this episode, as you will find, is change. So I've got married in the past week, week and a half, uh, moved in with my new wife, which has been awesome and has involved lots of moving. So uh, yeah, just boxes and boxes of stuff. Tons of wedding gifts, which has also been really fun and cool, um, but has also resulted in lots of trash buildup and all of that fun thing. Uh, and then also within the past couple months, my company has been acquired by another much larger company. So all in all, it's been lots and lots of change. Uh, thankfully for me, it's all been good change, incredible change. Um, but change is something that, yeah, it's not always good. A lot of the time it's difficult. And even when it's good, it can still be difficult. And it's something that we all have to go through. Uh, it's something that, you know, no matter where you're at in life, things are constantly changing, um, and it's something that I've gotten fairly used to over the past few years. Um, well, I've actually moved seven times in the past four and a half years. Uh, so I, I'm very used to that aspect of change, at least. And no matter how many times I do it, it's still difficult. I feel like I'm not getting any better at moving, which... Uh, perhaps means I need to follow the, some of the rules that I'm going to outline in this episode uh, for how to change uh, efficiently and uh, productively. Um, but change, yeah, it's something in our everyday lives, it's something we all experience, uh, whether it's new relationships or the end of uh, serious relationships, leaving a job, starting a job, perhaps going off to college or starting new classes in college, uh, getting a promotion, um, could be something like, uh, a promote or already said promotion, a career change completely. Maybe you've decided the career path you went down isn't the right career path. Uh, it could be your company being acquired, uh, could even be babies or something crazy like that. Uh, perhaps you get new management in your company. It could be something as simple as a software update, but it changes you or it forces you to change your workflow. Uh, change can creep into our lives in in tons of different ways. Um, and it's as the cliche goes, the uh, er, the only thing constant in life is change, or change is the only constant. So I've decided to do this episode on change. Uh, it'll primarily be from a design standpoint, as this is the Design 30 podcast, which I did not announce at the beginning of the episode. Uh, but if you're listening to it at this point, pretty sure you know what it is. Uh, and primarily, uh, yeah, I'll be coming at it from this design 
aspect, uh, mechanical engineering, uh, since that is what I know. But I think a lot of it will be applicable to life. Uh, maybe you'll have to zoom out a little bit on how to apply it to your life. Um, but I think when you're going through change, uh, these five keys that I go through uh, will be applicable in one way or another. So as I mentioned, there are five keys that I've come up with for efficient and productive change. So I'll go through the list real quick and then we'll dive in into a little bit of depth on each one. The first one is root cause. Second is proposed solution. Number three is the scope. Number four, action and responsibility. And then number five is documentation. And so number one, root cause. This is understanding what is driving the change uh, and that could be what went wrong or perhaps even what you've learned that is uh, driven a change to be necessary or requires a change. So a big part of this is understanding your design. Well, so let me back up a little bit actually. Uh, a few things in the design world that you would need to think about when looking into the root cause of a change is, uh, is it a design problem or is it an issue with the design itself? And this could be documentation coming from the design engineer. Uh, it could be the expectations of that designer were off, uh, something they overlooked during the design process, or even uh, a wrong calculation that they performed. It can be a problem with the manufacturing or uh, a build issue. A part could be made incorrectly. Perhaps the drawing supplied by the engineer was simply misinterpreted by a vendor or by the production technician putting it together. And then it could be a problem with the build instructions themselves. And this would typically, typically be coming from a manufacturing engineer or something like that. It could also be the case that you don't understand your user very well, or at least you don't understand the use case of uh, how this product is being used. And then finally, the communication of how the product is supposed to be used could be done poorly. Uh, perhaps you're not communicating well to your user the right environment to use your product in, when to use it, what problems it actually solves. And so there could be um, some changes needed from that and the root cause could simply be uh, it wasn't well communicated uh, to your customer. So the number two, looking at the proposed solution. So here you're trying to define what is the actual change that you're going to be making. And this needs to be clearly defined and you need to describe the change that will be made in explicit and clear terms. And here it's really important to be thorough because this description is really going to drive uh, the rest of the process, what actually is going to happen. Um, and if you propose your solution well, it's more likely that it's actually going to be accepted as a change. Um, in a lot of companies, uh, you 
come up with your proposed solution to this issue. And then someone else down the line from you who decides whether or not they're actually going to accept this change or implement it. So the better you can clearly define what your solution is and the change that it's going to uh, require, the more likely it's gonna go through the system and actually be implemented. And number three, the scope. Um, this one, I'm sure if you're a project manager, uh, you're well aware of scope. Uh, this is the scope of the work that needs to be done for the change. How much work is there is probably the first question you'll ask. And this will have you looking at uh, how many man hours will it take to complete it? What are the tools you're going to need uh, in the process? Will this require outside consultants, uh, perhaps some additional training for your team, for your engineers, uh, for, for your technicians? And then also what departments are going to be affected by the change and who, what departments do you need to pull into the solution? Uh, perhaps it's your inventory management or inventory manager needs to uh, be pulled in. Production line slash your factory could very likely be impacted. And then sales and marketing. What changes are going to be made? Do these need to be communicated to your customers? And how can that or how should that happen in your sales and, and marketing process? And this step, like I said, is crucial for project management. And especially if you're trying to come up with a budget for the project, all of these inputs would be required for that. Number four, action and responsibility. So what is the action being taken and who is responsible for it? Uh, what is the design work required? Who will be managing the project? and who ultimately will be implementing the changes. Um, a decision is made on, uh, in, at least during this step, a decision needs to be made on the precise actions to be taken and who is responsible for those. So for example, a design engineer perhaps could be the one making the change. Let's say it was a design problem. So they're the ones responsible for making the change to improve it or to fix it. And then the manufacturing engineering team would update build documents or whatever this change uh, fans out to. And they would be the ones responsible for communicating this to the production team. And then finally, you would have your operations manager who would be the one who would approve the changes um, along with several other people most likely. And they would also need to understand the impacts they would need to know and actually implement the changes at a precise point in time because from, I guess, stepping back a little bit, from an operations manager standpoint, you're thinking about what all does this change impact? What parts on the shelf are impacted? Do we need to scrap parts that we had if they were made incorrectly? Can we still use the inventory that we have? And if so, what's the runout plan for that? So we're not wasting money um, and we don't have to throw all those parts away. And yeah, so these are just some of the issues that an operations manager or an inventory materials manager would have to think about. And then number five, documentation. And I know this isn't the sexiest part, 
Um, and it's pretty uh, boring for a lot of people, especially if you're someone who is a designer, you're looking to solve problems, you are always looking for something new. I don't know. Documentation, at least for me, can be a really difficult pill to swallow, but it's also incredibly important, especially when you're talking about making design changes. Um, so you want to make sure that you are documenting all of the previous steps we've d discussed, one through four. Uh, make sure that is all laid out clearly and explicitly. And you want to, the main or primary goal of this is so that it can be read and understood by someone in the future. So every person involved in the change process should be documenting what they're doing along the way. And the process should be something your company, uh, well, often your company will have a process for this whole documentation uh, of your change or engineering change order, whatever you call it. Um, but if not, uh, perhaps you're working in a smaller company and all of these processes aren't predefined. I would highly, highly, highly recommend documenting all of these things for yourself. Um, it's not something that, well, if it's not something that's required of you, uh, the, at the very least, it's going to be helpful in a year when someone asks you a question about why you made this change. And you'll have something to look back at. You'll understand your rationale, why you decided to implement that change, what you actually did, and when uh, date-wise was it implemented. So it can be really helpful from that standpoint. Perhaps your manager is going to have questions for you and ask why you did this, why this change was made, maybe why a change wasn't made, because sometimes that's the decision. You have an issue, but you decide that a change isn't necessary. Um, so having documentation of all of that is going to be uh, incredibly useful for you, not only to help the change process go smoothly, but also just to know why you made the change in a year, two years, three years down the line. Um, and so, yeah, this pays huge dividends uh, in the future, even though it's really boring and tedious and not very exciting in the moment. It's definitely something that needs to be thought about. And I, I strongly advise, I think most people would strongly advise documenting what you've done. So what are the pitfalls of making a change or the pitfalls of making a design change? So in my experience, there's two primary pitfalls. One is changing too fast and two is changing too slow. So at times you'll just, you'll have a problem. Maybe you're highly motivated to solve it. Uh, perhaps you're a younger company and revenue is incredibly important, important. You need to make shipments. So you just make changes fast. You don't take the time to document it. You don't take the time to thoroughly think through all of the implications and who's going to be impacted. You just do it. So you're making changes really fast for good reason a lot of the time but often without doing all of your due diligence as far as understanding the issue and documenting it well. And then there's also the pitfall of changing too slow. Sometimes there's so much red tape, so much documentation, all of these different steps and processes that you have to go through to make a change that you really just avoid making any change. And that's a really tough way to innovate 
it's a tough way to uh, uh, solve problems. Uh, a lot of the time in manufacturing production, you'll have all these little issues, little improvements that could be made, but the process of making the change is so tedious and difficult and slow that those never actually get made. And so you start to lose efficiency, especially over time. Your efficiency just continues to drop and drop and drop. So you can change too fast or you can change too slow. And in my experience, I've seen a few reasons for both of these situations. Um, As I mentioned, sometimes a smaller company or a startup will change too fast and often for their Uh, their reasons are often good. They have to hit revenue goals. They have to get money coming in the door or else they'll go bankrupt. So it's often a good reason, but it's still too fast. And there's times when uh, you need to take the time to document this and document why you made the changes. It'll pay off in the long run. It's actually can save a lot of time in the long run, even though you can't see it in the moment. And then also when you're in a large company, that's often when you see changes being very slow. And again, this can be for good reason. In a large company, a small change impacts a lot of inventory. It impacts a lot of people. And if you make a bad change or a poor decision, the overall economic impact, just man hours involved in making that change and then maybe having to revert it, it all is... uh, you know, it's extremely amplified because it's such a big company. So they do want to slow things down. But then, as I mentioned before, sometimes this doesn't allow you to make small improvements that improve efficiency over time. And when you're not making those changes, your efficiency actually drops over time. So there's definitely a balance there. And another reason or one other reason I've seen is simply personality. There's some personalities where They're just going to charge ahead. They're going to make a change. If it's wrong, they'll change it again. And they're just motivated to get it done, get it done fast and move on to the next thing. And then there's people who are a bit more cautious. Uh, It's just the nature of who they are. And so they want to think through the issue. They only want to change it once and they want to do it right the first time. So personality can play a huge role uh, in whether or not someone falls into uh, doing things too fast or doing things too slow. In summary, uh, there's five keys that I've come up with for efficient and productive change. Number one is root cause. Number two, proposed solution. Number three, scope. Number four, action and responsibility. And number five, documentation. That is all I have for this episode. Um, One thing... Or one other note, actually, I want to say about uh, making changes in the design world and for me in the mechanical engineering world is just really think about all of the people that are impacted by the change. This is something that has, it's taken me a while and, and a lot of mistakes actually to understand. But when you change a part, you make a change to a part, there's a lot of different people that are involved that you have to take take into account. So for example, if you if you change, let's say, where a tapped hole is on a part, you have to think about all the inventory that you have of that part in stock. 
which your company has already paid for. Can it be used or does it need to be scrapped? You need to think about if it can be used, when is this change actually going to be implemented? Um, when does your company switch over from using that previous version of the part to the new version of the part, the new revision? And when does your sales team start talking to customers about that change, if it is a customer-facing change? And another thing that, that kind of plays into all of this as well is when do you revise a part and just add a new revision versus actually give it a new part number? And maybe other people have this figured out, but something that I've learned recently that has made this uh, or helped me to distinguish between the two really easily has been if you can put all of the parts into a bin and mix them all up and then grab any of the parts out and it'll work and it can be used by your production team. It's, it's not something you have to track as far as which customer receives it they're all interchangeable, then that change is a revision change. However, if the change is drastic enough, so perhaps a lot of people would call it a change to form, fit, or function, and it can't just be dropped into a bin of the parts, then you have to give it a new part number, which makes sense. You wanna keep it in a separate bin, therefore it has its own part number. You typically don't wanna have separate bins for different revisions of the same part number. Um, so yeah, it's basically the mix up the parts test. If you make a change and you put all the parts in a bin and mix them all up, does it matter which one you pull out? If the answer to that is no, then it's a revision change. If the answer to that is yes, then you would rather than a revision change, you would want to make a new part number for that. And that's something, maybe that is a bit mechanical engineering heavy, but it's been a really, a really helpful concept. Uh, for me, as I've tried to figure out, do I want to make a revision change to this part or do I want to create a whole new part number? Okay, and with that, I will uh, dive into, well, quickly describe the Design 30 discipline for this week. And that is to simply memorize these five keys for efficient and productive change. And if you work for a big company, <clears throat> you can probably relate these uh, to the process you're already implementing. And if you work for a small company or perhaps you're starting your own, I would strongly advise or strongly advise you to create a process uh, that implements these five keys in some way, shape, or form. And that's the end of this episode on change. But before ending it, I want to shout out... Um, the sponsor of the podcast, Viper Outdoor Tools. And I also want to mention that you can find Design 30 on Instagram. It's Learn Design 30. You can also find me on YouTube. That's also uh, Learn Design 30. And then also on Substack, which I keep saying this, but they're will be more and more uh, things I publish on there. So make sure to subscribe to that. You can do it for free and then you won't miss any of my Substack posts. And with that, it feels good to uh, record another episode and get it out there. Uh, I've got a lot of fun and exciting ideas uh, for the future for this podcast. So make sure to stay tuned, share it with friends, share it with coworkers, 
Yeah. Thank you very much for listening and we will see you next week.